0: Beginning at verse 8, Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. For your word, the encouragement we find there, we marvel how it can touch hearts, as we've heard earlier today from Brother Neil, that uh, people just at picking it up, glancing at a page, and their heart is captured by the power of your word and who you are. Uh, thank you for that, Lord. Father, may we remember our Savior and the things that he did for us. Lord, be with us now as we look at your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, the phrase we're looking at uh, is remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to the gospel. Powerful verse. But that first part, I want to continue on that. If you remember, David is really a type, what we call a picture of Christ. Both were born in the humble town of Bethlehem. Both were of low estate on the earth. They had no rank, no title, no wealth. Uh, Both were shepherds. David, a shepherd of sheep. Jesus, a shepherd of people. Both were oppressed and persecuted, but they did not open their mouths. Both came to kingship. And here uh, Paul writes Timothy, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David. And I want to look at, continue with that thought, the seed of David, because there's a marvelous picture there that we see. Last week we looked at two of them, and we'll look at two more today. But last week we looked at Jesus the servant. And if you remember, David was a servant of the Lord. In Psalm 18, if you look at the title of that psalm that explains it, the uh, subscription. It says, David, a servant of the Lord. And David many times would refer to himself as a servant of God. And of course, Jesus is the perfect servant that came to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul in Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And at the Last Supper, remember, we looked at what what did Jesus do? He got up and he washed the feet of the disciples and gave them example, a servant. And, of course, he calls us to be the same, be a servant. And remember, everyone that we serve, we're not only serving that person, but we are also serving our Lord, Jesus. So Jesus the servant. We also looked at Jesus, the soldier. Now David was a soldier; he was a gifted military leader, and that's going to show up when he t- takes on Goliath. And we looked at that, and what took place there is as a shepherd boy challenged Goliath and took him down. And of course, uh, later on David would be a warrior; uh, he's going to lead his nation; he will capture Jerusalem. And expand the borders. And we look at Jesus, the soldier. He defeats every enemy. He defeats the devil. He defeats demons. Every demon that encountered him yielded to him. He defeats disease. The leper was healed, the cripple strengthened. The blind given sight, and death is conquered. With a simple phrase, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead came forth. Uh, He is the lion of Judah. Now let's continue. Two more things we see about this the seed of David, Jesus, the shepherd. A shepherd means a keeper of sheep. and and we know that that the image of the shepherd runs all through the Bible Uh, Adam's son Abel in Genesis chapter 4 he is described as a keeper of the sheep he's a shepherd and and he'll bring the proper sacrifice Uh, Genesis says he brings the firstlings of his flock and of course his brother failed to do that Cain in the days of the patriarchs Shepherding was a chief occupation. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, their lives revolved around that. Basically, they were shepherds. But in time, uh, cultivation of crops is going to become primary. Shepherding is going to kind of take a lesser priority. And so the task of shepherding is going to be assigned uh, to a hireling, to a slave, or or to one of the younger sons. And this is where we find David. David, the youngest son of Jesse, was a shepherd. And if we just turn our Bibles back to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, 1 Samuel, chapter 16. God has rejected Saul as king. And we see that in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel's going to do that. Uh, See in verse 4, he goes to Bethlehem. And he tells the leadership there that he has come to sacrifice unto the Lord. And to come with him. And he goes to Jesse and his sons. And he called them to the sacrifice. And it's interesting what takes place. You look at verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. And said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So he calls next son, uh, Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And then Jesse made uh, Shammai to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen him. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he is ruddy, with all the beautiful countenance, goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What a great picture! I always love that story. Here Samuel the prophet goes through all seven, all these sons. And he looks at that first one, really impressed with him, said, man, this, this guy must be it. He looks good. He, he's tall. You know what? Shorter people have it tougher in life. Uh, Taller people, they, they got an extra advantage. But that's all right. God can even that out. And he does. Uh, so go through all the sons, and God tells Samuel, well, it's not that one. It's not what you're looking at. I'm looking at the heart. that's what God sees man looketh on the outward appearance but the Lord looketh on the heart and so they go and fetch David and when he shows up God says arise anoint him this is the one you see God saw David's heart that's what he was looking at that's what mattered David Had a shepherd's heart. That word for uh, for shepherd or shepherding means to feed, and that's what shepherds did. You look at all the tasks a shepherd did. Uh, A shepherd would lead sheep to pasture and water. They would protect the sheep from wild animals. David did that. Uh, Remember when he went to battle with Goliath, uh, he told Saul, well, I can handle a bear and a lion. And he had. So he's ready to take on Goliath. So they would guard the flock at night. The shepherd also knew every sheep. They would count them to make sure they were all there. And many times, they would name them and call them by name. And the weak ones, they would carry the lambs in their arms and David did all of that here he is the youngest son he's given the lowest task watching the sheep and he did he made sure none of those sheep were lost he defended them from wild animals stayed with them at night make sure they ate right got proper water Carried the weak ones in his arms. And God looked at David's heart and said, If he is faithful with that little task, he will be faithful over my people, Israel. And moved him up to king, gave him that position. And of course, you look at David's shepherd's heart. I mean, look at Psalm 23. What a masterpiece written for the master shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lay down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. shall be with me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is a masterpiece that David has given us that comes from a shepherd's heart. And that's why God made him king. Then we look at Jesus, our shepherd, the seed of David. Now, in the New Testament, shepherds stand out too. First people to visit Jesus when he was born were shepherds. Later in John 10, Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, in the Greek, there are two words for good. Uh, There is agathos, which means moral quality of a person or a thing. Uh, That's the word used when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, "Good, good master. And Jesus will say to him, why do you call me good? None is good but God. Agathos, moral quality. The other word is kalos. And that's the word used by Jesus in John 10 it means in the goodness there is a quality of winsomeness that makes it lovely I am the Good Shepherd a winsomeness it's Kalos there's a loveliness in the Good Shepherd he is good he is lovely he is virtuous he is honest He is worthy. He is beautiful. There's beauty in the good shepherd. Now let's just look at John 10. John's gospel, chapter 10. Look at what Jesus says about the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11, we find that statement, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And that's a primary characteristic of the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now, now the hireling won't do that. And Jesus points that out in verse 12. But he that's a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. Uh, You see, a hireling, someone who is hired, they're not going to do that. Danger comes, they're going to take off. And if a wolf comes, they're going to leave the sheep. But Jesus doesn't do that. He came to lay his life down And to risk it, the hireling will not. And that's why when we look at the cross, that we see that in his death, he saved us. That at the cross in his death, he took our place. That at the cross in his death, he forgave our sin. That's the good shepherd laying his life down for us. And then the good shepherd cares for us. I mean, that's why he lays his life down. Because in verse 13, the hireling flees. He doesn't really care for the sheep. So he takes off. But not the good shepherd. He is going to defend his flock. He will protect his people. He will watch over his sheep as a good shepherd. Uh, Dr. W. M. Thompson in his book, The Land in the Book. Uh, He wrote this in the 1800s. He served as a missionary in uh, I believe Lebanon. But he writes of his experience that uh, he heard of a shepherd somewhere between Tiberius and Tabor who had to fight off uh, Bedouins that were trying to take his sheep. And He stayed with his sheep and fought to the death. He was hacked to death by uh, the daggers of these Bedouins. He died with the sheep. That is a shepherd. He cares for. And that's our Lord. Protects the sheep. Takes care of them. Provides for them. And as Psalm 23 tells us, there David uh, says the shepherd leads those sheep to green pastures, still waters, prepares the table. Uh, You see, in Jesus, he provides everything we need for all times. And then the good shepherd knows his sheep. You look at verse 14 of John 10 jesus says i am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine Uh, shepherds knew their sheep they usually named them they would call them by name and and, and jesus knows our name Uh, now when you know a person's name that makes a huge difference it really does now uh, no one knows that more than me when i step into a middle school junior high class and I love it when I have a seating chart and their names are on it and I can look back in the back room there and I can see some student and I can say Malcolm you need to turn around and get back on task and he'll kind of, Wow how'd you know my name and I say I got a seating chart but when I say their name they respond you know it's just something you know we're not we're not just a number we have a name Jesus knows who we are and he knows the sheep and someday we are going to have the privilege of hearing our Lord call us by name Wow how what a privilege he's not gonna look at us and say who are you I can't remember your name He'll know. He knows who we are. And, of course, the shepherd leads his sheep. We see that in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus the Shepherd so we look at our Lord Jesus the servant Jesus the soldier Jesus the Shepherd we also see Jesus the sinless one Uh, here's where he differs from David David was far from sinless Uh, In in fact, the Holman Bible Dictionary says, uh, David was a giant among godly leaders, but he remained human as his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah showed. Boy, did it. Uh, David's sin was great in size. Huge failing. Uh, Of course, we know that. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Tried to cover that up. By having Uriah come back off the battlefield, that didn't work. So then he had his commander arrange it that when Uriah went back into the battlefield that the troops would abandon him, that he would be killed in battle, and he was. And David kept that hid until Nathan the prophet confronted him. And then he would confess. Uh, in fact, it's kind of interesting, Dr. John Phillips, uh, he believes that God brought judgment upon David, uh, even giving him leprosy. Because you look at some of the Psalms, Psalm 6 uh, Psalm 38 and 39, uh, it is written by David and it really describes leprosy. So he had a huge judgment upon him. And, and Psalm 51 uh, brings some more sense depth into that. But Psalm 51 is David's public confession of that sin and his experience of forgiveness. It's a testimony of what sin can take away, rob us. And it is also a psalm that tells us how God can restore us when he forgives us. And David was a great sinner. And that's the beauty of Psalm 103, written by David. It is a marvelous psalm of God's grace and forgiveness. I believe it comes out of that experience. David the sinner. And here's where Jesus is so different. Jesus is the sinless one. In the Christmas story, the angel comes to Joseph and tells him to fear not, take Mary as your wife. And he instructs Joseph. To name him Jesus. And he gives this insight. For he shall save his people from their sins. of course the shepherds in Luke. At the birth. uh, The angels tell them. Fear not. I bring good tidings of great joy. Which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we need a Savior. We need to be saved from our sins. And the only one who can do that is the sinless one. Peter tells us in 1 Peter that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews 4 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin." And then the Apostle John, in his letter, he says, Ye know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Now that's amazing. No sin. You know, financial experts tell you uh, if you have money trouble, you need to track your money where it's going. And they advise you usually to write down everything you spend all through the day uh, for a week or so. I mean, if you spend a nickel, write it down. And it's amazing where your money goes. You know, it's the same way with sin. It'd be amazing if we looked at one day. Could we get through one day? and have a sin-free day. I'm not going to even try a week. How about a day? That's almost impossible, isn't it, when we start thinking about it, because, you know, if we sat down and reviewed yesterday, what would be on our sin list if we wrote it down? It'd be eye-opening. Maybe a bad or impure thought, probably a wrong word, or maybe a right word said in the wrong attitude, watching a poor TV show, watching too much TV, feeling angry, kicking the dog. And what about sins of omission? Not speaking up. Not doing the kind thing we should do. Feeling jealous, coveting, wanting that, desiring that. I mean, I bet if we we'd have a pretty good list. And if you do that, don't leave it laying around. My goodness. Somebody might write a bestseller. Point is, do we need forgiveness? We do, don't we? And Jesus, as God, as the sinless one, he extends that. Only he can. I find the the pictures in Luke uh, where Jesus will come across a man who is sick with palsy. And Jesus looks at the faith of those that brought the man and the man, and he says to the man, first thing, he doesn't say, rise and get up. He says, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the Pharisees are sitting there thinking, well, why does he say that? God is the only one that can do that. They're getting all heated up. Well, if they would have thought about it, God was standing before them. That's why he said it. And then in Luke 7, there's a sinful woman that come. In fact, just turn to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. Begins in verse 36, uh, where a Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. Jesus goes. And, and look at verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. The you know, Bible's pretty frank, isn't it? And when she knew that Jesus was sa- sat at meeting in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, Begin to wash his feet with tears, did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. I mean, what a scene! And in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. Scumbag. Jesus teaches Simon a lesson. He gives example of two debtors, one owed uh, one amount and one owed a greater amount. Forgave them both. He says, which of them is going to love him most? Well, the one with the greater debt. Jesus turns to that woman. Verse 44, Simon, seest thou this woman? Wherefore I say unto her, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the little, the same, loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Only the sinless one can do that. in almost the last chapter of Luke, Luke tells us that when Jesus is nailed on the cross, his first words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The sinless one. Forgiveness. I always marvel every time I read the fact of the the secular humanist and novelist in England, Marge Hannah Titlasky. What she said before she died in 1988. She said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. And she stepped out into eternity. That's not true. Jesus would have. And he will. And the thief on the cross knew that. He knew he messed up. He knew he was a sinner. And he turned to the sinless one and said, Lord, remember me. Jesus said, today, I'll remember you. You'll be in paradise with me. Remember Jesus. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony for me. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. The sinless one. The seed of David. And what do we need today? Do we need Jesus to be our shepherd? Do we need Jesus, the sinless one, to hear him say, "Forgiven"? He stands ready. If we just come and call on him, you come. Gonna bring our team back up, Jonathan and Sarah, Erica. Jesus paid it all. He did. Not a thing we have to do. Just come in faith. That's it. Turn to Him. Let's stand as we sing.